Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, as we continue our story, uh, our study in the story of, of what God says in Genesis about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then later Joseph. Chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, I'll read it for us. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And when he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and on the top of it it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a sacred story, right? The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a sacred story. And it has been a story that's been forming people for generations. Think of this. Like throughout the Old Testament, how often it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of generation after generation after generation of the Hebrew people being formed and told the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about how important this is. This is a sacred story. And and not just uh, to the people of Israel, but also for the church. For 2,000 years of church history, as we've looked to the Old Testament as our Bible, as well as the New Testament, the, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have formed us. These are things we have heard in our lives, and if you grew up in church, grew up with. This is a sacred, sacred story. But in addition to being a sacred story, it is also a very personal story. And as I've mentioned to you many times, when we tend to think of Bible people as not real people, uh, but like Marvel comic characters or something like that. But I want us, again, to reflect on the reality that Bible people, these people were real people and had a real experience, and that what happened to Jacob was something that was personal for him. And I think in many ways, you will be able to relate to his story. 
Jacob has really done some horrible things, and he's suffering greatly for it. He's paying consequences for his actions. And he, it, it feels to him as if this is somewhat random. He wanted a blessing, right? We'll, we'll recount that in just a minute. But now his life feels much more like a curse. Uh, and all of a sudden, he is set out on a journey that feels, it has to feel as if he's just on his own. But the reality is that is not the case. God is coming out to meet him. And even though his life feels much more like a curse right now than a blessing, this is a life-changing moment for Jacob. So today we're going to look at three things uh, from the text, Jacob's trouble, Jacob's dream, and Jacob's confusion. First, his trouble. You know, usually our biggest problems in life are often uh, our biggest problems in life are relational problems, right? This is true for Jacob today. Uh, Jacob and his mother had conspired together to steal the blessing that his father Isaac intended to give to Esau, Jacob's older brother. Now, we know the story so well, it just feels like that's the thing that should happen. But the reality is this was a horrible thing to do. And I got to believe, even though they did it, and it's, a, it's in the fabric of the story that we can't undo, in real time, in that place, and in that day, they didn't have to do that. God had already promised that Jacob would be the one to receive the blessing, that the younger would be served by the older. But instead of trusting God in that moment, uh, they usurped power, and they, and they deceived their loved ones, and they did a horrible thing. Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, they conspired together to steal this blessing. And what was the result of their conniving scheme? Esau, now his brother, has murderous thoughts towards him and has a plan to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah is sending Jacob away from her. And this is painful. Uh, she loves Jacob. Isaac loves Esau. We, we talked last week. It's messed up. They, they had favorites, and they, they treated their sons differently. She loves her son, and she's having to set him off on this journey, and most likely will never see him again. This is devastating. Because of their conniving to get a blessing, it seems as if now his life is a curse. He's on the run, which is what we often do uh, when we're hiding. And he's alone, and he's afraid. And again, Jacob thinks he's on a journey just to flee Esau. He just thinks this is like, in result of this, I have to do this. But he doesn't realize that in this moment, God has him exactly where he wants him to be, and that his intention is not to curse him, but instead to bless him. The next thing I want us to see is this, Jacob's dream. So Jacob has left his home. He's out in the wilderness, and, and he's traveling, and, and he was not a member uh, at REI, and so he doesn't have enough gear, right, to be out alone camping. And so he sets up a, a little camp because he's, he's going along, sun is setting, and he has nothing to lay down for his head, so he uses a stone for uh, his pillow. He falls asleep, and he has his dream. 
And if you notice, as we've studied uh, this passage last week and this week, that Jacob is not a particularly uh, spiritual guy. You don't see evidence of him praying or, or caring about God or caring about anyone else. In fact, it, what you learn is he's an introvert uh, that likes to stay indoors. Uh, he does not like his father very much or his brother. He and his mother are tight, and he's conniving to get this blessing. And that's all, all that we know. There's, there's no mention of his character, his heart, his godliness, his faith, uh, none of that. So there's nothing in this story so far that would say, here is a father of our faith. There's going to be three primary names in the Old Testament as we recognize as our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is nothing yet in this story that would give you evidence that you're like, this is the man. This is a foundation. And so here we are. And not only that, through Jacob, through Isaac, through Abraham, God intends to bless. Did you see it in the passage again? The entire world will be blessed through, through Jacob. And did you see that all the covenant promises that God gave Abraham, as we studied a few weeks ago, are now falling on Jacob? That beautifully God describes in this dream these amazing promises to him. So as Jacob goes to bed that night, it had to have felt like the door to heaven is shut closed for him. There's nothing particularly good or spiritual about him. And then all of a sudden, he has this dream. Now, God often meets people in and through tribulation and difficulty. Have you noticed that? And I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I want to be met by God in the best of times. I want to feel more strengthened and like I'm growing and maturing because everything's great and I just want things to continue to be great. But have you noticed how God uses suffering and trial and difficulty and tribulation to be the thing that strengthens us spiritually? It's like working out. You have to tear down muscle in order to build it up and to become stronger. And it is in the midst of trial and tribulation and difficulty that we often grow the most and where God often meets us the most. Becky, my wife, was visiting my parents last weekend, um, and she's back now, but she was in, in Indiana with them last weekend, and um, they are at a place in their life right now where it's difficult for them to get out and do very much at all. And so the one thing they can do is get in their car and just drive around from time to time. And when Becky and I go back to visit, we kind of do this tour. And Becky just did this tour again where they get in the car and they drive around and they show us every house they ever lived in and every house that I grew up in. And we just do a tour of the whole town for a couple hours. And so Becky's sending me these texts with all these pictures of places that I lived and places where my parents lived and places where I grew up. And one of them, though, was a picture of the apartment complex that my mom and I moved into um, right after my parents divorced. So when I was five, my parents sat me down one day to tell me that my dad would no longer be living with us. And that, that he, they didn't inform me of this at this point, but the reality is this, he had fallen in love with another, another woman and he was leaving my mom uh, to marry her. And so my, at the time, this is in the early 70s, uh, there were, you know, the law of the land was not that everyone had to stay in the same town so that both parents could have privileged rights and so forth. And so we moved four hours south uh, to Evansville to be where my mom's support system was and where she would have people to help her. 
And so we moved there. Uh, she has not had to work before. We had a great home. It felt like we had a great home life. I was only five, but everything seemed right in the world to me until this horrible thing happened. Everything was disrupted. We're moved out of our home. We moved to this apartment. It was a three-story apartment, and it was a walk-up, and we lived on the third floor, and we lived there for six years. And so as, as Becky sent me this picture, it just reminded me of this traumatic time where, like Jacob in this moment, it really did feel like this random event that was like a curse. It felt to me and my mom in that moment like we are being cursed, like this is horrible. Everything that was good in our lives is being unraveled. My mom didn't have to work, had not yet been to college, and all of a sudden as a single mom in the 1970s where, you know, there was a lot of stigma with that back then. So she goes through college and and then later works and so forth and, and was a great single mom, but it was a trial and it was a difficulty and it felt like to me as a as a five and six year old, it felt like everything that was good in my life it, it's over and every and it just felt like my life was defined in this wound of like this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it took years to get over that in a sense. And maybe I'll spend the rest of my life getting over that. But what I often reflect about, and my mom does as well in conversation, of in that horrible moment, in that horrible moment of this traumatic disaster of our lives, God met us there. And now, decades later, I can reflect back on that story and say, this is exactly where God wanted us to be, not that he caused the sin of it, but that he met us there and was taking us on a journey to bless and not curse, as hard as it was. That in that moment, ultimately, it became blessing, both temporally but also eternally. I personally believe that without that experience in my life, I don't know if I ever would have come to faith in Christ. So eternally, it had implications. But temporally also, my stepdad is a towering figure in our lives. And my mom married him when I was 11. And when they first got married, I I did not understand it did not start easy for him or for me in our relationship. Uh, and I could never have dreamed the kind of father he would become to me, but he has. And I can't fathom our lives without my stepdad. I can't fathom our lives right now where my mom is in such need health-wise. And, and to have, he's 90 and he serves her every single day, even though he struggles with his own health issues. I can't fathom what my boy's lives would be like without Pap, without him in our lives, without even Becky's life. Like what God did in that moment, in spite of the horrible trauma that it was, ultimately, God used it for blessing. God often works that way. And so are you in a moment of trial and difficulty and tribulation? Perhaps this is a turning point. Perhaps in spite of the difficulty and the horrible nature of what you're going through, perhaps... Perhaps God is right there with you. Now, the dream that Jacob had is well known. Uh, If you grew up in Sunday school, you, you know all about this. He dreamed that there was a ladder or a flight of stairs or an escalator that that descended, you know, from heaven and connected from heaven to earth, and that angels are ascending and descending back and forth between heaven and earth. And the word angel literally means messenger. And so in a sense, what he's seeing is like, here is a message from God. Here is a word coming to you from heaven to earth. 
And what Jacob saw was powerful, but what he heard was even more powerful. The Lord, as I've already said, literally repeats the covenant blessing that he had made with his grandfather Abraham. I am with you, he says, and I will keep you. It's amazing. He says, I am your grandfather's God. I am your father's God. I am your God. And Jacob, through you, I will bless every family on earth. Amazing. So this is the blessing that Jacob needed. This is the blessing Jacob is desiring and hungering for. And he thought it would come through his father Isaac. But that's not the blessing he needed. That's not the blessing that made him special or set apart for the covenant. It's this blessing right here that God gave him. Abraham, I blessed. Isaac, I blessed. Jacob, I'm blessing you right now with this covenant blessing. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, he, he wakes up, of course, frightened from this dream. He's terrified. And he says, I had no idea where I was, right? I just stumbled upon this place. It's, it's as if he thinks it's like Sedona, right, where the vortexes are. Like, if you just stumble upon one, you're going to get blessed because you, you found this experience. And so he's kind of he's thinking of this as a vortex. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know there was a vortex out there, a heaven, you know, a staircase to heaven. But there was, and I just happened upon it. That's kind of how he's thinking about it. But in reality, God came to him. It didn't matter where he landed. God was coming after him, Right? So from him, though, it felt random. I'm going to stop for the night here, and I, I'm going to lay my head on this little rock and have a dream. And he wakes up, freaked out, confused. And he says, this place is the gate of heaven. This place is the very house of God. And he named it Bethel, which means chapel or holy place. Now let's talk about Jacob's confusion. Jacob is trembling. He's terrified. He's got to be asking himself, what does this mean, this dream? And he had a little worship service, and, and he takes this rock he slept on. It's still probably got his slobber and sweat from the night before, you know, that he's slept on this little rock. And, and he, he creates like a cairn almost, like when you're, when you're out hiking and you see people will like stack rocks to, to, to indicate like this is a, a, the way to go. So he creates like a little altar with this rock and he pours oil all over it, which in that culture was important. He's anointing this place. He's setting this rock aside and this place aside to say, this is a holy place. I mean, God met me here. And then Jacob, you know, he, he's, he's saying these things, but here's, here's where his, his, his confusion lies. God comes to Jacob unconditionally. Have you noticed this? He's not, again, he's not spiritual. He's not seeking God. He's not praying. He's not, he's not behaving well. He doesn't treat anybody right. And yet God comes to him unconditionally. He just says, I'm going to bless you as I blessed your father, your father and your grandfather. I'm going to give you all these covenant blessings. And there's no qualification with it. There's no conditional statement. It's not if you do these things, Jacob, then I will bless you. It's just I am going to bless you unconditionally, not on the basis of Jacob's righteousness, not on the basis of his goodness, not on the basis because he's so uh, character, you know, got good character. It's just on the basis of God's grace. And Jacob should have stopped right there and said, 
I don't deserve this. I just did something horrible to my brother, and, and, and I did something so bad, I've been driven away. Oh, Lord, I don't deserve your blessing. How could your blessing fall on me? Now, I do believe that Jacob gets there later in the story, but today, he's kind of like us in a way. God comes to us with an unconditional blessing in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith and your hope in Jesus You're unconditionally blessed. It's all grace, you guys. It's all grace. And yet we continue to doubt that reality of it being all grace. And we want to bargain with God and have kind of a um, consumer relationship with God where we act on condition. God, if you will give me what I really want, uh, then you'll be my God. And this is exactly how Jacob responds. He says, if God will be with me, And if God will keep me, and if God will give me bread and give me clothes and take me back to my family, then he will be my God. And it looks great. That looks like a great prayer at first. Like, oh, you know, Jacob's really coming around. Like, he's really, but did you hear the conditions? God comes in unconditional love, unconditional promise. And Jacob's like, dealing with a very real thing. He's asking for basic life necessities. I need food, I need clothing, and I need people. I need family. And so if you'll provide these things for me, shelter, food, water, clothing, and people, then you'll be my God. Interesting. A conditional statement. And so what I also love about this story, it's almost like in in God, if you act now, I'll throw in this very special thing for you. A bonus, if you just will call in right now, this little rock that I stood up here on the ground and laid my head on last night, that can be your house. <laughs> and I, I love that. I think it's kind of funny. And it reminds me, once again, of you and me, how we treat the Lord. Like, Lord, if you will just do these things for me, I will be so faithful. And if you'll act now, if you'll really speed up and get this done, you know, I'll give you this rock to throw in. And you can live here, God. Now, Isn't it awesome that God doesn't just smite Jacob when he says that? Like, you think I'm going to live in a rock? Kaboom! You know, like lightning bolt, you're dead. Let's start over. Esau, you're up, you know? (laughs) He doesn't do that. God kind of takes us where we are. He he comes at us with nothing but his his saving grace And then we quickly turn to works, righteousness, and conditional clauses and statements with God. I'll do that if you do this. He takes us where we are, and he takes us on a journey. Now, what I think is is funny, and it really is funny, that we're dealing with the Lord of the universe that, that created all things. And one of the things we know about our own galaxy is there's at least 100 million stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. Would you stop and think about that for a second? 100 million, 100 billion, excuse me, 100 billion. And there are at least 100 to 200 billion other galaxies in the observable universe. There's parts of the universe we can't see yet. So (laughs) God created all that, and this is what's so beautiful. And Jacob says, and you can come live in this little rock that I found in the wilderness. I think it's beautiful and funny, and it shows how amazing God is in his patience with people like you and me. 
Now, what is Jacob doing? His heart is functioning like the human heart always does until it's changed by the Holy Spirit. Jacob is not yet humbled by his sin. He still thinks his relationship is based on works and conditions. But you see that the gospel of Jesus and the Old Testament gospel also, right? I reckon your faith is righteousness. Is not, it's not based on that. Every other religion relates to God on a conditional basis and on the basis of works righteousness. If you don't drink this, eat this, if you do this, if you make this pilgrimage, if you read this book, if you will give a tenth of your money, then, then you'll be right with God. But God comes along and says, no conditions, unconditional promise, unconditional covenant, unconditional grace. But when Jacob had this dream, he immediately thought of Led Zeppelin's classic song, A Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> Actually, no, uh, but I did. And it, it goes like this. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold, and she's buying the stairway to heaven. And when she gets there, she knows if the stores are all closed, with one word, she can get what she came for. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> and she's buying the stairway to heaven. This is what religion is. I'm going to buy my way in. I'm going to earn my way in. I'm going to get my way in by something I've done. But God comes to Jacob, and he comes to us with the gospel and just says, I bless you. And it's the blessing you need. It's the blessing that you can't get apart from him. Do we have to look to him in repentance and faith? We do. But it all begins with God's initiative. Now, some of you are like Jacob and are just beginning to understand the character of God and how he relates to you and sees you, and it's all grace. Later, so my mom and I are living in an apartment. When I'm 11, my, my stepdad enters our life, and they get married. And we later, just a couple of years later, moved to Danville, Kentucky. And, and that's where I went to high school. And that seemed like the most random of events. It, it felt like, uh, once again, it just felt as if my whole world was being ripped apart. I didn't want to move there, but, but it was Bethel for me, that move. It is where God met me. It is where God revealed himself, where God came to me. My, my house in my bedroom was the place where God showed up, right? He was going to show up wherever I was, but it was a special place for me because that is where the Lord met me. And I laugh because my relationship with God begins like any other relationship with God, which is just based on very little information. <laughs> if you're someone like me that wasn't raised in the church and didn't grow up with all the stories and all the scripture and everything, it was a life change, but I had really very little understanding of who God was. And God said, let's go on this journey. So some of you are just beginning, but I want you to know right now it's based on grace. And others of us have been walking with God for a long time, maybe many, many decades. And yet, do you see all the ways in which we still switch back to works righteousness and back to conditional clauses and kind of this idea that we're in and out of a good relationship with God depending on what kind of life we've been living? Some of us have been on this journey thinking like, if I've had a good week, 
right, then I'm back in God's graces, and I've got, like, the power to pray, and, and he'll probably listen to me. Like, you're at church today, so good job. You're really doing it right. So you're at church. Maybe you, later you could read your Bible or listen to a Christian podcast or only listen to Christian music today. And if you do all these amazingly uh, deep and profound religious obligations, then maybe if you pray enough today, God might actually listen to you, right, because of how righteous you've been, <laughs> I'm joking, but this is how we sort of operate. But then if we have a day where we realize, like, I have not loved God with my heart, and I've not loved my neighbors myself, and we actually see the depths of the problems in our hearts, and then we avoid God thinking, well, now I can't pray because I don't have enough righteousness stored in my account right now. He's not going to listen to me right now. He doesn't even want me around right now. I've got no power to pray if I'm not going to share my faith. I've got nothing in the tank. Like, I don't have any works righteousness built up. And so we kind of have this view that we're in and out of a relationship with God. And, and the men on Thursday mornings uh, in our men's morning Bible study, we've been reading a book called the, Dis- the, the Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And in that book, he says this, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Hallelujah. Would you please reflect on that again for just a second? Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. But the second is equally true. Your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. So to keep us humble, you're never beyond the needs of God, need of God's grace. If you become incredibly righteous in your life and in lifetime, if you become one who really is growing and loving God and loving neighbor, you're still never, ever, ever beyond the need of God's saving grace. You just never are. You're never beyond the reach of his grace, and you're never beyond the need of his grace. In the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, and by the way, if you've not read the Gospel of John, especially if you're a new follower of Jesus, I implore you to do so. It's beautiful. Jesus met a man named Philip, and he told Philip, follow me. And he said, he, Philip invited another man named Nathaniel to come also. But Nathaniel was skeptical about Jesus and went to him. And, and, and as he came to him, Jesus said, uh, Nathaniel, he called him by name. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. And John leaves out why that matters. We have no idea why that matters to Nathaniel. We have no idea what happened there. But it mattered so significantly to Nathaniel. Something happened there that only Nathaniel would know and could only possibly know. And so he says to him, you are indeed the son of God. And then Jesus says this to him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You already believe I'm the son of God just from that? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, truly, truly I say to you, Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened, the gate of heaven, the door of heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending on on whom? The son of God. What Jesus is saying, and he's speaking to two Hebrew young men, sons of Israel, who have been raised on this sacred story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on the ladder 
the angels ascending and descending on this ladder. It is a part of the very fiber of their life and their faith. They know this story. And what Jesus says is, let me tell you a more beautiful aspect of the story. I am the ladder. I am the one who unites heaven and earth. I am the ladder. And you don't get to heaven uh, on the basis of you ascending up and down. You get on my back. You will get, it says, on the Son of Man. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am the ladder. Climb onto me. Have union with me in my life, in my death, in my resurrection. This is what we have, dear friends. Jesus Christ is the ladder. Jesus Christ is the means. Jesus is the way to heaven. There's no other way. Now, what is God showing you right now in your life? Maybe you're going through a really hard time, a traumatic time, a time that seems so random to you. But is it possible, whether you're a believer or not, that God can meet you in that moment, and it might be a turning point even. Can you have faith to believe, even in a very difficult moment, that God means to bless you and not curse you and meet you there and take you on an even greater journey? And I know this is challenging, and I'm not saying that the thing that happened to you is good. It could be the worst thing. My parents' divorce was not a good thing. It was evil, it was wrong, it was horrible. But God used it. There's a, there's a phrase in the Old Testament that says what, you know, that what Satan means for cursing, basically, God used for blessing. What, what might God show you through all this? Another question, and we've all done this, but are you still making conditions with the God who created the universe? Are you still saying, like, act now, God, and I'll throw in this amazing obedience? I'll actually start going to church every week, God. I mean it. Wow. And I will give you this little rock, (laughs) and I'll give you a tenth of all. You know, are you still making conditional clauses with God, the one that created the Milky Way galaxy and the entire universe? You don't have to. Here's the amazing thing. You don't have to because he comes at you with unconditional grace and covenantal love. Does God have you in a troubled place like Jacob? Maybe this is a place of transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our father in the faith, Jacob, who will later become known as Israel and become a man who is truly transformed by the good news of of your promises. Lord, would you help us to see that truly our relationship with you is entirely rooted and founded on grace. That you are the means by which heaven and earth meet. Would you meet us here today? And I pray for my friends here this morning, especially those that are in a hard place, in a challenging place, Would you bring blessing upon their life and not cursing? Would you show them all the ways in which you're faithful to them? In Jesus' good name.
Amen.